Happy Wednesday, everyone. I want to start with Christmas in July. I, I brought my Christmas scarf, and, and I know I probably should do something more to introduce this whole series, but, but I'll, I'll get there in a little bit. I want to really tell you my story about Christmas in July. So picture me, uh, same height, but maybe about 50 pounds skinnier, and I'm 18 years old and getting ready to go to college in the fall, but mom and dad and I, really we were pretty much in agreement, thought it would be useful if I got a job for the summer. And so, through the U.S. Forest Service at that time, at Crater Lake, they had a fleet of young men and women who were interns, poorly paid, but we had a lot of fun that summer, I have to admit. But it didn't start out that way. So my parents drove down Crater Lake, dropped me off, and I swear the last 10 miles as I was getting closer and closer to the lodge, I was already feeling further and further away from my home. This was the first time I'd really been away from home. I mean, certainly, you know, overnights and a camping trip and things like that. But here, you know, ultra brave 18-year-old Larry had never lived by himself, had never really spent more than a few days away from, I know this sounds corny, but from mom. And so here as they let me out in front of the lodge and kind of dumped unceremoniously my luggage out on the stoop there, I'm kind of like feeling like I'm the first day at first grade in a way. And it didn't get better. I gotta tell you, I didn't sleep for three or four nights in a row. And there was a feeling in me, in me of loneliness that's hard to describe. I, I, I mean, I think probably everyone in this room at some time in their life felt homesick. And, you know, the years have stretched by and those memories are, are kind of fading a little bit, but I can still actually feel it. It was like something vital was missing. Now, the folks at Crater Lake, however, this was their, I don't know, their 35th batch, 35 years in a row of having interns from, from all over the state of Oregon, all, all teenagers, and they were used to it. And although their employment office had the title of, you know, employment office, what it really was was more like camp counselors in a way. And they had developed this thing that they called Christmas in July. And we'd no sooner got there, right, than, than we find our places in the dorms, and already there's a little sign up on the board for Secret Santas, and we're all like going, what the heck, you know, what the heck, what's this about? And the gift store at the lodge is decorated with, the, with Christmas stuff, and there's all this promotion stuff. But you know what? It wasn't for the people staying in the lodge. It was for us. And it really didn't have much to do with Christmas either as far as that goes. It was to help turn us into a family. And the reason I'm telling you this story is because what I learned that season at Crater Lake is that we bring the feelings of family to bear ourselves. It, it is within us that the feelings of love exist. It is within us that belonging to something exists. Now, you would think something like belonging, something like a connection requires other people, and I guess it does in a way, but the feeling of it is wholly within here. And what I learned that summer, 
That if I want to feel love, I can feel love. It doesn't require my mom to be there. What I, what I learned was if I wanted to feel that sense of belonging and that sense of purpose, it didn't have to be in that old environment with those old people. It, what I learned was if my friends weren't there, well, well, here's a new one. It was a lesson to endure through my entire life because I had never really thought about it. Up until that day, I guess I believed that my emotions were situationally based. Do you know what I mean by that? That, that if I wanted to feel happy, there was a certain set of, of, of things that would make me feel happy. That, that if I wanted to feel loved, well, my gosh, my best friend and, and, and my parents had better be there because how else are my going to feel that sense of love. And what I learned so powerfully away from everything that was familiar to me was that the feelings still exist in me. And it didn't take much more than a camp counselor and a few corny ideas of putting a, a Christmas tree up in July and secret Santas. And she even did a little sneaky thing and made us a, a, a bunk room partners with, to make sure they were people we didn't know so that we would get to know new people. I mean, she had it all. Well, of course, she was an expert. She'd been doing it for years and years and years. But the feelings were right here. It didn't require those old friends. It didn't require my own bedroom, right? After the fourth night, I think I finally slept, right? Different bed, but so what? Well, my thesis for this tonight, and in fact, it's my thesis for this whole series that I've developed called These Gifts that we're going to be exploring together on Wednesday night for the next uh, six months, I guess, is that the gifts of God are always, always present. That no matter where we go, that no matter what we do, no matter who we've been or how we've been behaving, no matter whether our friends are around us or whether we're completely by ourselves, feast or famine, no matter what, God is in the giving business. And if we're in the receiving business, we can experience all the love, all the joy, all the peace, all the sweet sweetness, everything, everything that we would want to experience. It can be ours. And I would even suggest that you could have it right now. So where I'd like to start with this tonight is first the idea of how we've been trained to ignore our good. Because I'm a little worried about this. When I look out in the world, what I see is that Madison Avenue, what I see is that our, our friends and our families even are kind of training us not to see, not to notice our good. I think in a way we've become a little bit like drama queens, and I don't mean that in, a, in, a, in the sense of, uh, uh, of you, know, you know, playing it big, but I think we tend to notice only the dramatic moments. I think that in the newspapers that plays up, you know, the worst of the worst and, and, and the best of the best and, and the average quiet beauty of the world it's as though it doesn't exist anymore. And I think it's true even with our friends and family. When we call up on the phone and, and we say, well, how you doing? What's going on? Do we tend to say, gosh, I just sat in the chair yesterday and I had the sweetest time. And, and I swear, well, some of you are going, well, of course I don't say that. It sounds boring. <laughs> and you're right. 
But isn't sometimes the sweetest part of our lives when not much is going on? Because it isn't about the going on. It's our experience of it. It isn't about having to do and to do and to achieve and to, to make it. I mean, that's a part of life too. But the sweetness of life is just how we're experiencing what's going on right now. I would love to get into a conversation with someone where they said, I watered the lawn this afternoon with the hose by hand, and it was so sweet and so peaceful. <laughs> but that's not where we go. Where we go is, well, Aunt Susan's in the hospital, and Uncle Fred is, you know, headed for hospice, and, you know, Aunt Billy got married, but, and it was a lovely ceremony, but you know it's not going to work out. You know, that's where most of our conversations go because I think we're addicted to the highlights and the lowlights. I think we're literally a little addicted to the tragedy and the, you know, the over-the-top wonderfulness. I, I did a wedding not too long ago that I just thought, oh my gosh, of course it's a day to remember. They've spent $25,000 and had, you know, the, I, I mean, it was everything but the Ringling Brothers were there. There were horses and a surrey and a mountaintop and violins playing. And I thought, well, this, of course it's, I, <laughs> and so I know some of you are going, I wish I had that wedding. And, I, and, and I'm not at all dissing the wedding because it was beautiful. I, cry, I cried and I was, you know, doing the wedding. It was beautiful. And at the same time, it's like, do we really need that? Is that what it's about? I mean, it's lovely. And in an infinite world with infinite money, of course, why not, why not spend it on one beautiful day like that? That was sweet. And I enjoyed it. But do you see what I mean? I think we're addicted to the highlights and the lowlights and the sweet, sweet, everyday ability to enjoy what's going on who we are, nothing special, just the bliss of, of making breakfast, the, the sweet joy of, uh, of taking your dog out for a walk or being in the forest. I think we basically ignore it. And so where I'd like to start today, and I'm going to ask actually for your help, Rand supplied me with a, a walk-around microphone, and we're going to give it a, a try here. I want to see if you even know what it is you're looking for. So, so I've got my, uh, my Christmas scarf on. Pretend I'm Santa. Well, yeah, almost. <laughs> Pretend I'm Santa. Really, if your dream could be realized, what is your dream? If you want that perfect happiness in your life, what would it look like? Who would like to share with us? Yeah. What is your dream of happiness, sir? You know, I have a best-selling book coming out in a couple weeks. Sweet. All right. Fair enough. So A Dream of Success, a best-selling book. Who else would like to share? Do you, I hope you realize we're actually doing something important tonight. We are witnessing one another. There's a power in listening to someone claim their good. It's putting it on their radar, and it's putting, us, putting it on our radar as a witness to their good. Be awarded tenure. Awarded tenure, wonderful. So, so a career goodness, sweet. Who else? Yeah. Oh, I'm getting my exercise. This is good. I like this. What would you like for Christmas, little girl? <laughs> Santa. 
oh, well. <laughs> I should have known better. I just totally should have known better. There's a, there's a spot in a lake in Michigan that I am at home in. Ah. And I met it. I'm there so much mentally that Lovely. to be there physically Lovely. is what I want. Sweet. Thank you. Sweet. I can almost see it in your eyes when you say that. Who else would like to share something? Oh, see, we're going back and forth. This really is good for me. All right. Anyone halfway across? All right. Let's get, I'll, be, I'll be with you next, I promise. I am going to live my passion by enjoying some of those small things and living my life in spirit with healing and art. Healing and art. Thank you. Okay. Yeah. What would you like, little boy? <laughs> I'd like to do that painting that heals. A healing painting. Beautiful. Thank you. Maybe one, just one or two more? Yeah. I would like a practitioner practice at the ocean. Lovely. Lovely. Maybe one, one more? Yes. We just want to hear you, because that way we can uh, witness you um, better. So when I heard about the wedding, uh -huh. I was thinking, could 25,000 feed an entire third world country? Oh, maybe. Uh, it's possible for a day, maybe, yeah. Well, for a day. Uh-huh. And can you imagine thinking, I mean, as... So what would your Christmas wish, your Christmas in July wish be? That, um, that the children and people in third world countries could have just a tenth, like a fifth or a tenth of what we have. All right, thank you. They have food and shelter. Thank you, yes, absolutely, absolutely. She was saying that she hoped that uh, all of the children in the third world, third world could have even a tenth of what we get to experience here in the U.S. Thank you. See, I knew they wanted to hear it. <laughs> so what's my point? Whoa, there we go. So why is it important, do you think, that we speak aloud even what it is we want to see more of in the world? Part of it is because otherwise it's flying under the radar. Part of it is, is that it becomes that hidden noise in the middle, and we're looking for the highlights and the lowlights, and we miss some of the most important things that are very doable, very observable, very um, ability to have, if you will, and instead, it just sits in the back of our brain instead of the front of our brain. And when things sit in the back of our brain, there's always something more important going on. There's always something that seems to take precedence. And, and so our thoughts aren't directed in a way that will begin allowing us to observe that our good is closer than we think. So for the, the, uh, the person that said, uh, uh, or, or, for, or for having the practice at the beach, what I know is that I bet there's a feeling you get when you're at the beach that's, that's hard to deny. I bet that your soul and your heart just tends to, to open up in a beautiful way when you're at the beach. 
And what I know is that when we concentrate, even on those feelings, even if the beach isn't there, the, the belief in it, the belief in the opening heart, the, the sense of the power of the ocean, that that can be had even as we're speaking about it. In fact, even as you claimed it, I could see it in your eyes. The thing is often not the thing. The thing, the true thing, the, the what we really want to have, I think is the experience, the, the feeling, the sense of it. Often, of course, it does accompany a physical item. It certainly might be easier to feel the joy of being at the beach if you're at the beach. It might certainly be easier to feel that the, uh, the world is well taken care of when you can see that proper nourishment is going on in some third world country. But God is always giving those gifts. The only person that can keep you from experiencing the joy you wish to experience, the only person that can keep you in any way from experiencing abundance or love, of having a peaceful life or, or feeling fulfilled, the only person that can muck up the works whatsoever is actually you. You and I, through the filters that we employ in our thinking, are the ones that stop God's gifts from coming our way. Now, someone once asked me, well, how do I know? How do I know if I'm actually standing in the way of my own good? And you know what? It's an easy answer, and it really pissed him off when I told him. I said, well, if you haven't got your good, then you're standing in the way of it. And it actually is that easy. Because God's always giving, and God's infinite. And if you put those two things together, there's no spiritual reason that we shouldn't have exactly the outrageous level of all the good that we wish to receive. The only thing that can stand in the way is ourself. So what do we do with this information? Well, there are a couple reasons that it happens. One is, sometimes we don't think we actually deserve it. Have you ever met someone to push away compliments or, or ignore, ignore their own power in the world? Have you met people that just, you know, things could be busting out in roses all around them and, and have it be beautiful, and they instead will focus on the few things that are a little bit wrong with their lives instead of the 99% of their life that's going swimmingly well? This is hard to understand when you're in it. When you are in it, it looks like all exists is that one thing that's, that's rotten or those few things that are going wrong when the world is like this. So if you are feeling the victim, if you ever find yourself in that place, uh, whether it's situational or whether you just wake up some morning and you're, you're really feeling like you're at the end of your wits or the end of your rope, recognize that you're looking at the rope. Look around. Try to get perspective. Try to understand that, yes, this particular moment, this particular issue may be indeed troublesome. In fact, it may be life-altering. It's quite possible. But it's a blip on the radar. And when you treat it as something fleeting, it will flee. The other reason that people stand in their own way is that they don't really expect to see their good. 
If you ask them, well, what's their heart desire? And they might wistfully say something like, well, gosh, I'd really like to just love and be loved in such a, a beautiful and tender way. And you can see their eyes kind of do this far away thing. The trouble is they're far away from it. The trouble is it's a wishful, hopeful kind of thing and not really the embodiment of it. To receive our good, we have to just welcome it in. We have to picture ourselves having it already. We have to understand that we're for it. Not that it's elusive, not that we have to work for it, not that it's a, a kind of an envious thing that we see in someone else. When we want to receive our good, we plan on it. We, we sense it already. We have the feelings that we would have as though it were already ours. And that's how we signify to God, this is for me. Love is for me. Joy is for me. The final reason that I think that sometimes we overlook or, or outright push away our good is that we believe it's better to give than receive. And so for some of us, uh, just because of our background and our habits and things like that, when presented with our good, we'll just kind of go, oh, um, you know, I should probably earn that on my own. I should probably, that should be something I should work for. Something shouldn't come that easy. You know, there's something hinky here. Maybe, uh, maybe there's strings attached to her gift or, you know, or whatever it is. Some of us just have the idea that their good isn't really for them. They wish for it. They think it would be a grand idea. But I can't just receive it. I should have to work for it. I should have merit for it. You know what? God doesn't really care. God really is in the giving business. God is giving and giving and giving. All love comes from God. All joy comes from God. Ultimately, all comforts come from God. And God is just like the, it, it's like one of those things where you go in the door and you get a door prize. Uh, this last week, I went to a, a baby shower, which for a guy who's never been to a baby shower before, I just got to say, it was quite an experience. <laughs> and we got a gift just for showing up. It was like, here's your door prize. And I went, this is all right. <laughs> Who knew? Well, God's like that. You don't have to behave a certain way. You don't have to do anything special. You don't have to be somebody or, or follow a set of rules. God's in the giving business. And if we can open our heart up to it, if we can see ourselves as worthy, then the gift is simply given and simply received. There's one more part that I want to talk about tonight, and I think it's time for a little story. So three sons left home. They went out on their own. They prospered. Getting together before Christmas, they discussed the gifts they were sending their elderly mother. The first said, well, I built her a new house. The second said, for Christmas, I'm sending her a Mercedes. The third smiled and said, I think I have you both this, be, this Christmas. You remember how mom enjoyed reading the Bible to us? Well, I sent her a remarkable parrot that recites the entire Bible. Now, it took the church elders 12 years to teach him. He's one of a kind. But mom just has to name the chapter and verse, and the parrot will recite it. Well, soon after, of course, after Christmas, they received their letters of gratitude from Mom. 
Dear Milton, she wrote, the first son, the house you built for me is lovely, but it's so large. I'm having a bit of trouble keeping it clean. Dear Gerald, she wrote to the second son, I gave up my driver's license last year, and I'm afraid the Mercedes is just sitting in the garage. But dearest Donald, she wrote the third, you really have the good sense to know what your mother likes best. The bird was delicious. In order to really enjoy life, we have to be on the giving end as well. In the world of human affairs, where do you think all the giving comes from? It comes from other humans. I mean, God is absolutely the source, but we are the instruments of both the giving and the receiving. And I've got to tell you, both feel equally good, but... I think there's a little bit of importance around what is the gift that you are giving. Because again, many of us, because we think that in order to receive a gift, we have to act a certain way or be a certain thing or, or, or follow a set of rules or, or, or be good in some way. I think that we believe on some level that the true is when we're the giver as well. And we have a, an idea of what gifts should be like and, and what someone would appreciate. And, and have you ever received literally a gift for someone and you know it's what they wanted but not what you wanted? I mean, I still remember the endless series of Christmas sweaters that I got from one grandma. And uh, I haven't worn a sweater in my entire life, you know? But there they were, all laid out. And on holidays, sometimes mom would coax me into putting them on because grandma was coming. Well, it isn't at all, of course, that her heart wasn't in it. But when we want to give gifts on the planet, it needs to really be authentic. And the way I look, of course, at my grandma is the gift wasn't the sweater. The, the gift was my grandma. The gift was love. The gift was that sense that, oh, my gosh, she probably spent three months working on this kind of scary sweater, and I love her all the more for it. But do you see where I'm going? When you're giving a gift, let it be authentic. And whether we spend a fair amount of time finding out what the receiver would want or not, that's a good thing if it's a physical gift. But do you know what people want most often? They want you. They want quality time from you. They want a sense of belonging and a sense of intimacy with you. They did a survey a couple Christmases ago of teenagers, of, of what teenagers wanted most, and that was the way they phrased it too. So they didn't use the word Christmas gift, even though it was Christmas time. They said, what would you like most of all? Well, there were, of course, the iPhones and the iPods and, you know, the occasional Xbox thrown in. But more than half, well more than half, said what they wanted most was quality time with their parents. It's really all that anyone wants. You showing up authentically to spend time with the people you care about is the biggest gift that you can give. It requires no more effort than showing up, 
putting aside some of the busyness of your schedule or your day or what's going on in your own head. It works better if you're in a listening frame of mood <laughs> rather than a talking frame of mood. Because so often those people just want to know that they've been heard, that you care, that what's going on in their lives is important. Sometimes the smallest things are the most important things. Well, I want to close today with just the smallest summary. What is the Christmas in July idea? It's that the gifts are always present as long as you're present for them. That the love isn't dependent on a certain set of people that you already know. That the gifts of life and joy and fun can be had wherever you are. That the sweetness and goodness that is yours to experience actually comes not from the people and the situations around you. They come from your own imagination, from your own heart and your own mind. Key to happiness in this world is that you are the happiness. And then I would say the second most important thing is clarity around what it is you really want for yourself. Because if we just go with the highlights and the lowlights, if we just look for the great joys and the great tragedies, we're going to miss a whole lot of the sweetest parts of life itself. The quiet cup of coffee on a summer morning out on the deck going to a movie with an old friend that you haven't seen in a while, picking up the phone and maybe calling someone from high school from all those years ago and just catching up. Nothing very exciting at all, and yet it will fill your heart up. I'm going to close with a, an interesting quote. Um, this was something a couple of years, those of you who attend my center regularly may remember this from a couple Christmas Eves ago I read this. And I just wanted to share it with you. It's from Howard Thurman's Meditations of the Heart. And this was something, um, again, pardon me for our, our Christmas in July theme again, uh, but this was something that he had earmarked uh, for a service one year that he did at Christmas. He says, I place these gifts on my altar this Christmas, gifts that are mine, even as the years are mine. The quiet hope that floods the earnest cargo of my dreams, the best of all good things for those that I love, a fresh new trust for all of those whose faith has dimmed, the love of life God's precious gift in reach of us all. Seeing in each day the seeds of tomorrow, finding in each struggle the, the strength of renewal, and seeking in each person the face of a brother. I place these gifts on my altar this Christmas, gifts that are mine even as the years are mine. Let us pray. There is one power, one presence, one life, one love, one joy. It is all a part of this magnanimous thing, this huge thing, this endless thing, this giving thing that we call God. 
And what I know about God is that that means me, that as God is everything, that feeling of love, that, that beauty, that joy is right here in my own heart. And as it is true for me, it is true for each person in this room. Each person here is a God-center and a God-centric home for joy, for love, for peace, for kindness. And so with authenticity, I, I speak my word for the beloved here in this room, knowing that as we, we truly claim our good, as we, we hold on to it in our minds, as we, we wrap our arms around it and accept it, it is ours. Truly, all God, all good, holy, holy. And so I'm grateful for this knowledge. I'm grateful for God showing up as the people right here on this lovely Wednesday evening. Grateful for joy, for peace, for love. I release this prayer into the activity and action of the law itself. I just let it be. And together we say, and so it is. Happy Christmas in July, everyone. Thank you so much. Thank you so much.